0: Good morning. Uh, If you are joining us for the very first time today, I'm glad that you have chosen to worship with us at Southside, and you picked a great week to join us. We are actually focused this week uh, in a culmination of something that we've been working on for the last six weeks, really the last year in terms of planning, Uh, but we have been engaged in a conversation about spiritual awakening. Uh, What would it take for believers, for me, for you, for churches, for us to wake up and be aware of what it is that God is doing. And so over the last several weeks, we've taken each week to look at uh, issues revolving our spiritual awakening, and we're going to do that again today as we get ready for what is going to be a big week in the life of our church. Uh, This coming week, we are focused, everything is focused towards the Awakening Conference, which will be this coming weekend, Friday, Saturday night at 7 o'clock, and then Sunday morning, uh, we will have all of our grow groups will meet Uh, At 9.30, if your group meets at 9.30, it will meet in its normal place at 9.30 on next Sunday morning. But at 11, we'll have one worship service together. Our entire church will be together. Dr. Robert Smith will be our guest and you don't want to miss it. And we have tried to have this conversation in a way of preparing our hearts for what it is that God wants to do in us as he is awakening us. And today we're going to be looking at a passage, Luke chapter 12... That uh, brings this portion of our preparation to a close as we anticipate uh, this coming week. Also, in in preparation for this coming weekend, we are having uh, our normal call to prayer on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And I hope you'll come and join us. We do that the first Tuesday of every month. But Thursday night, we're having a 24-hour prayer vigil. And uh, I told the earlier crowd, the really spiritual people take 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., but but see, I told them that because I knew they could. For you, I'm because t- they're working. A lot of the, a lot of those folks work. I'm going to tell you the really spiritual take. People take 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m. Those, those times of day where if you're uh, if you're available to come up, we would love for you to take a time slot. You can do that at the uh, information station right across from the entrance down the hall here. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Is where we'll be looking today. So if you have a Bible, Luke 12, 35, there's one in front of you. We'll also put these on the screen. Luke 12, 35, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to those who've gathered around, and here's what he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. This is obviously the scripture that inspired the song our students sang for us. We don't think much about keeping lamps burning because we just turn on a light switch. Uh, But in this day and age, before the time of electricity, it was somebody's responsibility to make sure that there were enough oil in the lamps so that at night people could see as they as they went uh, to and from. And so the servant was usually, there were servants usually charged with that responsibility if the master was out to keep the lamps burning so when the master came home, uh, the master could find his way in. And so Jesus is using that kind of as a reference to all the people he's talking to, telling them they need to stay ready for action and keep the lamps burning. And he, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door for him once and when he comes and he knocks. Now, when I was uh, a young boy, I grew up with, in the home of a single mother, and she would sometimes have multiple jobs and different shifts that she would work. And so it was my responsibility to be home alone uh, a lot. And um, mom would make sure that dinner was ready, and she'd make sure all the rules were, uh, were known to me, uh, but I would be on my own, and I never really knew for sure when she was going to come in. She might, be, she might come in after I'd been home for an hour after school, she might come home at five o'clock, but whenever she could, she would come home, and when she came in the door, I had better be found doing what I was supposed to be doing and not doing the things I wasn't supposed to be doing. Uh, There were things I needed to do like my homework, there were things I shouldn't be doing like watching television. There were things I was allowed to eat after school and there were things I was not allowed to eat after school and there was a measure of accountability in my life just because I wasn't sure when she would come home. Now she probably could have told me what time she would be home but in her wisdom she didn't give me that information. Because if I'd had that information, I would have behaved differently than the fact that I didn't have the information. And and so it is, Jesus is saying to his disciples here, Sherry and I have an interesting debate because, of course, technology has changed. Our kids are a little older now, and Sherry's gotten in the habit when we're headed home, she'll say, well, I'll just text the kids and tell them that we're on our way. And I always feel like telling her, don't do that because I didn't have that advantage. They need to wonder, and just like I had to wonder when I was a kid. But Jesus is saying, you don't know, so you need to keep watch and be ready. And then, in verse 37, he gives a blessed. Now, anytime you see a blessed, just know this is something that God has for you. This is something God wants to give you. This is a, a path to happiness, a path to joy. And here's what he says. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds. What's that next word? Awake. That's one of our key words during this series. Blessed is the servant whose master finds him awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Now catch this. Get the picture of this. Jesus is saying, if you're the servant who is found ready, you're diligent when the master comes, the master trades places with you. That he, the master, will put on servants' clothes and he will serve the servant who has been found faithfully serving in the master's absence. If he comes in the second watch, which midnight to about three, or in the third watch, three to dawn, and he finds them, what's that word? You know I'm doing this to make sure you're awake. And he finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Jesus is saying be ready because you don't know, but know this, he goes on. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man, which is a title uh, that was used in the Old Testament to talk about the coming Messiah. Jesus used it to refer to himself, so Jesus is clearly talking about himself here. That when the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect And then in verse 41, Peter asks a question, and it's a question that as I was reading this text several weeks ago preparing for today, I actually had this question in my mind when I got down and realized that Peter asked it. And maybe it's a question that as we've read these verses, it's a question that you've already had in your mind too. And here's what Peter asked. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Let me translate what Peter's saying. Lord, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to here? Because it matters who you're talking to. Because there are times Jesus is talking to different audiences, and, and we need to fully understand, am I the target of, the, of this message? Peter Peter's probably say, thinking to himself, okay, Jesus, do I need to listen to this? Is it for me, or are you talking to somebody else here? And isn't this what we do a lot of times with the words of Jesus and the teaching of the Bible? If you're a believer and you're a Christian you show up at church, there are lots of messages and lots of times we hear things, and we think, oh, well, that's for somebody else. That message is for somebody else. I'm okay, but I'm sure glad that 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 person in front of me, two rows, is here to hear that message because they really need it. And Peter's saying, do I need to tune in? And I think Jesus gives an answer to Peter that is an answer that also applies to us. Look what Jesus said. And the Lord said, well, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over the household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In other words, Jesus says, well, Peter, I don't know. If you're going to listen to what I say and be found faithful, then it was for you. But if you're going to ignore it, it clearly wasn't for you. That has so much to do with us today. Are you willing to listen to the words of Jesus, not as if they applied to somebody else, but as if they applied to you today? Because the, the words that Jesus is speaking to his followers, to to Peter and to the other disciples and to the crowd that had gathered is a message that he desperately wanted them to hear, but it was preserved in the scripture and passed down to us because it's a message he wants his church to hear today. To be ready, to be on guard, to stay awake. And then he goes on and he says this, "'Truly I say to you, he, the master, will set him, the servant, over all his possessions.'" But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat, to drink, and to get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. The consequences for not being awake are pretty severe. And it would do us well to know these words that Jesus is speaking. I think he's speaking to to those that he's entrusted with his church, to those who are believers, to be prepared. As I was reading this passage, I, I became aware of the reality, as we've talked about it for several weeks, that so many times we drift into sleep. We drift into sleep because... It's just easier His life's hard. We drift into sleep because sometimes, uh, sometimes there are distractions. I mean, they might even be good distractions, but we find ourselves asleep. And the message of Jesus to his disciples over and over again, time and again throughout the scriptures is be ready, stay awake, be alert, don't fall asleep. And so I, I think when it happens, when we do drift to sleep, there, there are several things that take place in our own lives and in our world as Christians drift off to sleep. Three in particular that I think this passage highlights. One is that we undervalue people, and the second thing is we overvalue possessions, and the third is that we put no value in the promises of Jesus. So I want to look at each of these individually as Jesus talks about them in this passage and in this chapter. We undervalue people, failing to properly recognize what it is that Jesus has done for us and for others. Look what, the, look what the servant said as he was left. He said, my master is delayed in coming and, begins to, and the servant begins to beat the male and female servants. Now, what's interesting about this is that this person who was left in charge was, was himself a servant. No better than the other servants. Actually just like them. But for whatever reason, before the master left, what did the master do? The master said, hey you, you're in charge. And so that servant became the one who tended to the entire household. That servant was put in a position of authority over the other servants for a period of time until the master returned. And what did the servant do with the authority that had been entrusted to them? They they misused it and they abused the people who were really no better than that servant was. I don't know what position of authority God has given you. Some of you would say, well, he hasn't given me any position of authority. But to some extent, in all of our lives, he's made us responsible for other people or to other people. Could be children, could be grandchildren. It could be, uh, it could be a job, a position we have at work, and we've got people who, who work under us. I don't know what it is in your situation. But, but what, what happens when we fail to be fully awake and aware of the master's return is that we undervalue the people around us. We don't take seriously our responsibility to steward well the relationships that God has given us. And and just to to demonstrate that, I remember when I was a little older and my my baby sister was born and I would be responsible for her. I would be the best brother I could be when my mom was around. Oh, you all did that to your little brothers and sisters too, did you? isn't that part of our human nature? When there's accountability, we tend to treat the people around us the way we're supposed to treat the people around us. But when there's no accountability and we don't think we're accountable, when we don't believe that, in fact, Jesus has entrusted us with the positions and the people he's placed around us, we can become careless and we treat them poorly. And the second thing is very much tied to it, and that is that we overvalue possessions. Look what he said. He said the, that, he, that he beat his male and female servants and he, to eat and drink and get drunk. We overvalue possessions. We take advantage of the resources that we have as if they are our own. We think our stuff is actually our stuff when we don't consider the fact that everything we have will eventually be somebody else's. Either because you give it away or because you're dead, one or the other. And so, what do we really own? We've been given a stewardship. Before this passage, back up in verse 17, listen to the parable that Jesus told. Luke chapter 12, verse 17. The land of a rich man, and immediately we fall into the trap that Peter fell into. Well, this message must not be for me because I'm not rich. Listen, rich means you have extra. If you've got another set of clothes at your house compared to the rest of the world, guess what? You're rich. If you've got extra food in your pantry, you are rich. Most of the world today lives on less than $2 a day, $2 a day. And without apologies for sounding political, because I know it's a political statement, a few years ago there was this rage in which the 99 were against the 1% in America. But can I tell you, if you live in America, you are probably part of the global 1%. And so we recognize that when Jesus talks about rich people, he's not talking about someone else. He's talking about any of us who have extra. So there was a land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, this is the rich man, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store up my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul... You have ample good laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. What's he doing? He's the servant, isn't he? He's the servant who's unaware, who's, who's asleep, and who's not awake when the master comes back. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now, we don't like to think of ourselves in this light. We don't like to think of ourselves like this guy. We would just prefer to say, oh, well, we're careful. And this isn't a a parable that Jesus told against saving or against planning. This is a parable that has to do with stewarding. That you recognize that God didn't bless this man so that he could store it up. The question isn't, are you rich? The question is, why are you rich? Why has God entrusted you with so much when so much of the world today is hungry and thirsty for clean drinking water? Why has he given the church in America so much? That's the question we need to ask. But we don't like to say we're rich. We prefer to say that we're comfortable. But that's precisely when we're at the greatest risk of falling asleep. is when we allow the possessions and the comfort of this life to lull us to sleep. That's what this guy did. He said, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink. And isn't that what our wealth does to us? Listen, money itself is amoral. It is neither good nor bad. But what we do with money and how we treat money and how we think about money is a reflection of our hearts. And that's not my idea. That's the words of Jesus. Where your treasure is, say it with me, there your heart will also be. Now some of you are already getting nervous and holding your, I'm not going to ask you for money. We already took up the offering, so you can relax. This doesn't have anything to do with your money. It has everything to do with your heart and with being prepared and being fully alive and fully awake. And listen, the sin is a love of money. When the love begins to take root in our heart, and the the love of money is not dependent on having it. You can be poor and still love money to the destruction of your own soul. Because life, listen, life is not measured by the possessions that you gather. But by how you treat the possessions you have been given and steward them. And life is measured in how much you give them away. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's why Jesus said, that servant who is found faithful, when the master comes home, will be given everything. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said talking about Christians throughout history. He said, he said this about Christians when it, it, as it relates to believing in the return of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus wasn't angry with this man because he planned for retirement. The problem was, in fact, he didn't plan far enough into the future. He only planned to retirement. He didn't plan into Eternity. And this is what happens when we, when we drift off to sleep, when we become comfortable because of our possessions. We undervalue people and we overvalue our possessions. Listen, this message, if you're not a believer today, I know you always get uncomfortable when pastors talk about money, but I'm talking to those who are believers. Nothing has lulled the American Christians and the American church to sleep faster than the, aff- the, the financial affluence that we have been blessed with over the last 25 to 30 years. Nothing. The church in America over the last 25 to 30 years, has amassed more wealth than the rest of Christianity and every Christian added together in all of history. In the 1980s and 1990s, the church experienced a financial boom like never seen before. They brought in more money than ever. Simultaneously, the church in America amassed more debt than they had ever amassed before. And Christians, servants of the Lord were found squandering the resources that God had made available at the expense of missions around the world. At the expense of actually using the wealth that the church had been given to fulfill the mission of Christ. Not only did we hoard the wealth, but we dug a debt that has seen the closure of churches all across our country. You see, Jesus is talking to us. He's not talking to somebody else. He's talking to me. And he's saying, Gary, how have you, in falling asleep and not being aware of the reality that I am coming back, undervalued people and overvalued possessions, overvalued what you've collected? Both of these mistakes are the result of the third mistake, which is that we place no real value in the fact that Jesus said he would come back. And when we fail to believe that, we fail to believe that we're accountable for the people and the resources that God has entrusted to us. And I I don't know about you, but I don't live my life every day and every moment of every day anticipating that Jesus will, in fact, come back. I just don't. But maybe I should. Maybe that's the kind of accountability That Jesus intended for me to have so that I steward relationships and steward the possessions I've been given well. And as a church, do we really believe that? Or is it like C.S. Lewis said, this is why the church has ceased being so effective in the world today, not because we, we are so focused on the next world that we neglect this world, but because we're not focused on the next world at all. We're not focused on the consequences of what is to come when Jesus comes back and says, what have you done with what I've entrusted to you? Because here's what Jesus said to his disciples, I am coming back. And I'm not going to send you a text message first. You don't know when it's going to be. And whether it's the physical return of Jesus or whether it is an untimely death, we don't know when the end will come. And Jesus says you need to be ready. You know, in our world today, a lot of folks would say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Surely if he was coming back, he would have come by now skeptics would say that but even believers would say well maybe we misunderstood Jesus he didn't really mean that he was going to return in a physical form maybe it's just sort of the spiritual awareness that Jesus would come back and I've, I mean maybe you've heard people say that I I know I've heard some folks who have said that I I think Jesus meant it and you know what's encouraging to me is that we're not the only generation of the church who has battled that the very first generation of the church battled that reality as well and Peter you remember Peter One of the three who was in the garden when Jesus asked him to keep watch and pray, and he fell asleep three times, and Jesus came back to him and said, couldn't you stay awake, watch and pray? Peter, as an old man writing to the church, as the church was battling the same opinion from the rest of the world. He's not. Jesus isn't coming back. Peter wrote these words to that church. He said, they will say, Peter's quoting the world, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they are, as they were from the beginning of creation. You know what he's saying here is that this idea that there's two basic human understandings of time one is cyclical, in other words, it's a cycle, it's a circle. And everything just is repeated. Everything just goes over and over and over again. This is where if you carry this to its logical conclusion, this is where the idea of reincarnation may come into people's theology and beliefs. That's one understanding of, of time. But there's another understanding of time that is the biblical understanding of time. And it is linear. That time that everything is going somewhere. There's a culmination. This ha- life has meaning and it's heading to a destination into a direction. And so what these people were saying to the early church is, it's all been like it was, and it will always continue to be just like this. Peter gives this advice to the church in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. He's quoting Psalm chapter 90, verse 4 here. And basically he's saying you cannot force God into your chronology. God is outside of time. Some of you who are here who have been praying for things for years, for months, maybe even just for days, and you feel like God is not operating on your time schedule, that's because he's not on your time schedule. He's outside of time and space. And so Peter is reminding the church, hey, don't fall into the trap of believing that somehow God's got a calendar and a stopwatch that's governing what he does. He's God. He controls time. Time doesn't control him. And then he goes on and he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, maybe you found yourself saying in your current situation, or as you just thought about life in general, maybe you have found yourself saying, I just need to be patient with the Lord, I just need to wait on the Lord. When I read this verse, that's the first thought that comes to my mind until I read it close enough to understand that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying that God's delays do not require my patience, but rather God's delays are evidence of his patience. What What if, in fact, you are not waiting on God, but it's God who's waiting on you? What if that thing you're praying for, what if God knows you're not ready for it? And God's saying, I'm waiting on you to be fully prepared. That's what he's telling creation. I'm waiting for more people to come to repentance, for more people to be prepared. It's like the master who comes home, and he sees and understands that the servants aren't ready yet. And so what does the master do? He could charge into the house and hold everybody accountable, or he could wait with the hope and expectation that maybe the servants will get their act together. And when they do, then he would come in. But, one, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the earthly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, preachers love this verse. I mean, the, especially the preachers with their hair on fire. They love this verse. I don't like my hair to be on fires, but I like this verse. But, but let me tell you what this verse is not talking about. This verse is not talking about the total destruction of creation. This verse is talking instead about a refiner's fire. About something that purifies. Something that brings out the true kingdom. And so that all that remains is what is true and right and holy and righteous. That's what the return of the master is. And what is our responsibility as followers is to do everything we can to be prepared and fully ready... Because there's something, look what Peter said. Because on that day, it will be, what's that next word? Exposed. And so I've just wondered, what's going to be exposed in me, in my life? If the master were to come back today, what would be exposed? What would I be found doing? What would I be found not doing? This, that's why this message is, is so important for us during an awakening church to say, what are we doing and what is being exposed in your life? What if everything that were unholy, everything that were unrighteous, everything that were not of God were suddenly ripped away from you? What would be left? See, the churchy word for this is this is about our sanctification. Sanctification. This is about us becoming more and more holy so that more and more of who we are is what remains and what stays when Jesus finally comes. But it's a process, isn't it? And we have to be awake to be engaged in it. Church, we have to be awake to be engaged in it. What is it that Jesus will find when he comes and he knocks on the door? What will he find in my heart, in my life, in your life, in our church? Because Jesus is coming back. And we need to be found, be found faithful and prepared with the lives of the people who've come around you. How would you treat the people around you differently if you knew your time with them was very short, very limited? If you knew you only had a finite period of time, who would you call? What would you say to them if you knew that time was short? Can I tell you that it is short? Just go to any funeral and ask someone in attendance. It was never long enough. They got sick too early. They died too suddenly. And Jesus is saying, live every day in preparation, stewarding well the relationships, caring for the possessions, stewarding them well and leveraging them, not for retirement, not for just the future, but leveraging them for eternity. Church, may we be found awake and alert when the master comes home. Will you pray with me? We're going to have a time of invitation. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to use the time just to reflect on what it is God may be saying to you. Not just even during this message today, but maybe over the last 40 days of you, as you've engaged in the 40 days of awakening. Maybe, Maybe you're waking up and looking around and recognizing how how you've missed opportunities, the good news for you is that God's given you more time. He's being patient with you as he is with all of us. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer and you've heard this message that really is holding God's servants accountable, but maybe you would recognize that that also poses a very serious question for you. You who are standing outside, why? Why? Why are you standing outside and what are you waiting for? If history's really going somewhere and if no one can be guaranteed another day of life, then what are you waiting for to make things right in your relationship with God? He's done all the work. He sent Jesus. And all you have to do is reach out and believe and you'll be prepared. Church, how can we be Good stewards of the lives of the men and women, boys and girls who will pass within the shadow of our steeple and never once even consider what happens underneath it. How will we be found faithful with the lives of the people who are sitting to your left and to your right and in front and behind you who have cares and burdens and worries and we rush past them in our busyness and miss the opportunity that God is giving us to be his voice, to be his hands and to be his feet people who need encouragement, who need hope. And God, put them right beside you, right around you. Are you awake? Are you aware? God, we come to you today first confessing that like Peter, James, and John, like so many of your followers throughout history, we have often drifted off to sleep. We've not been found faithful with the resources that you've entrusted to us. And Lord, we confess this to you and at the same time it only makes us more amazed at your grace and your patience with us. Thank you. Lord, help us. Help us to be found faithful. Help us to be fully awake and alert and living with the expectation, the anticipation, and the hope that Jesus will keep his promise. That just like he promised that on the third day he would rise again, he will return. And Lord, may that be more than just a theological belief may it may it change the way we live our lives may it change the way we parent our kids the way we relate to our spouse the way we interact with our friends the way we drive in traffic the way we wait in a line the way we respond to a person on the phone lord may it transform us to realize that we're accountable and that you're coming Father, today for those who are not believers, Lord, I pray that today might be a day that they would recognize this story, this history is going somewhere and that they've been given today as a beautiful gift and opportunity to respond to your grace and your mercy. Lord, may we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand together as we sing? the Thank you for being here today and for being a part of our time of worship together. I hope that it's not the end for you but rather the beginning as you engage in what it is that God is inviting you to do this week. Uh, Maybe the reality or just the reminder that we all need of the preciousness of life and moments will cause you to go into work a little differently tomorrow. Cause you to interact with neighbors, with friends a little differently tomorrow to understand the stewardship that we've been entrusted with. I hope you'll come back and be a part Tuesday night of Call to Prayer that we do each and every month. It'll be a great time as we prepare for this coming weekend. And then Thursday night, let me remind you, there are prime spots available for you, waiting for your name if you want to sign up uh, at the information station for the uh, prayer uh, vigil on Thursday night. And then I hope to see you on Friday night, Saturday night, and then next Sunday morning the awakening conference my prayer for you this week as you go is that you will be found ready and waiting and joyful and blessed with the coming of Christ grace and peace be with you